You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 podcast room, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Glad to have you along for another episode. We will discuss some coaching changes to the horseshoe defensive side of the ball in particular, some uh, some big changes that are coming this next year. Uh, we'll continue to really uh, kick off our positional uh, analysis talking about the defense events uh, at uh, here on, on the team, excuse me, and there aren't a whole lot of them, as uh, as we observed, um, who will be under contract when the new league year begins. Um, also, it is Senior Bowl week. Colts have gotten some great, great talent from Senior Bowl week in the past, so we'll uh, try to let you know a few names to keep tabs on. But first, we do start with news around the league this week, and uh, we begin with uh, one of the greatest players of all time, if not the greatest in the NFL, Tom Brady, announcing his retirement from the league. 22 seasons, seven Super Bowls. I saw a stat that was just an insane stat, Mike, and that was that in Tom Brady's career, in his 22 years, he's made like 14 conference championship games. So that's like, I don't know, 66 or 60 whatever percent, 60 something percent. And his completion percentage for his career was like 63 or 64 percent. So literally, Tom Brady was more likely to make a conference championship game in any given year than he was to complete a pass whenever he dropped back. He, he, the, the level of success that he had is something that we have never really seen before in this league. And Mike, if it happens again, it'll be someone else who just has what is an impeccable career. And in spite of what Indianapolis fans might think about him, he retires certainly as one of the greatest to ever go down to play this game. It's funny. It's what stat do you want to jump out at to say this is the most incredible? There's the other one that he's played in like 18% of the Super Bowls. And like 10 of them were played before he was born. So it, it's really incredible. And, you know, we, we can't do it today because of time restraints. But the one thing I argue is, is people put it, he's the greatest athlete of all time. No, he's not. I mean, the, the Mount Rushmore of great athletes, he's not on it. He's just not. I mean, Reggie White, Muhammad Ali, Bo Jackson, whomever. Now, if you want to talk about the greatest quarterback and greatest winner, now, Bill Russell might argue with the, the, the greatest winner, but I, I just always wish people would push the button on the greatest athlete of all time. Is he the greatest NFL player of all time? I don't know, Reggie White or Jerry Rice or Walter Payton or Jim Brown might argue, but it just shows you the level of his career when people throw these things out there. I do uh, appreciate you throwing Jim Brown out there, of course. Probably uh, even better at lacrosse than he was at football in his Syracuse days. But uh, nevertheless, uh, Peyton Manning released a statement on Tom Brady saying congrats to his friend Tom. Uh, I'm not going to read the entire thing, but uh, Joe, uh, I'll throw it over to you just with uh, with your thoughts on Brady's retirement. Being a guy who grew up here in Indianapolis, I'm sure you grew up with no love for Tom Brady. But at the same time, uh, there's a certain level of respect that you probably have to have. Um, uh, nevertheless, uh, no more Tom Brady, uh, on the field. Uh, so I'm sure Colts fans will be more happy, uh, than, than most fan bases around the NFL. Yeah. I mean, for the respect has definitely grown over the recent years, just watching his longevity. I mean, to be honest, that's what I'm most impressed with. Um, during the Peyton Manning, Tom Brady rivalries, I was very avid that Peyton Manning is better. And I still refuse to call Tom Brady the greatest quarterback of all time. I will refer to him as the most accomplished quarterback of all time, but that, that's that's the most you're going to get out of me. 
Uh, To be honest, I'm glad he's gone. I've been waiting for this for a while. Every year I have to go into the season just rooting against Tom Brady so that he doesn't win another Super Bowl. And it feels like half the years uh, what I root for does not not come true. So uh, I got a lot of respect for this guy. He sacrificed a lot to be able to play this song at such a high level but at the same time i'm not gonna miss him and i in the back of my mind i'm i'm kind of it seems like it's too good to be true <laughs> that he's finally gone i'm not i'm not putting that to bed until the 2022 season officially starts it was quite the quick, it was quick, quite, go ahead chap quick, a, quick, a quick question to throw out there without spending too much time on this if in their prime in their prime if you had to have one of these guys win one game w- w- with your life on the line which would it be? Peyton Manning. Okay. I'd go with Peyton Manning. Uh, I'd go with Tom Brady. I'd probably go with Manning because I think if a quarterback had had to do things on his own with his sheer physical talents, I think Peyton could do it more. But, again, you're, we're splitting hairs. We are. Uh, but, but, again, it, it's really kind of funny how, how – there's always bias in this, but there's no wrong answer. I mean, it's, a lot of these, there's no wrong answer, but give me the one game with everything else being equal, defenses, running game, and all this. I'd probably take Peyton, but it's a slight, slight edge. Uh, Tom Brady is 16-4 and four all time against Indianapolis, and that's the uh, the only stat that I'll, I'll throw out in my favor there. Like, like well, you said, there's I, a lot. I, of- I, 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 will, I will throw out there that 16-4 and four is more of a reflection of Bill Belichick against Peyton Manning uh-huh. than it is Tom Brady against Peyton Manning. But that's that, that's just me. That's fair. It, it was quite the dramatic weekend, Mike, with uh, first uh, this, the report coming out with uh, Schefter and Darlington from ESPN making this making this known that, hey, Tom Brady's going to retire. And then a couple other guys, NFL Network, picked up on it. And then all of a sudden there was the pushback, you know? Like Tom Brady's brand tweeted out, hey, congrats, Tom, or thanks, Tom. And then they took that down really quickly. And then Tom Brady's dad was trying to try and get out there saying, my son has not retired yet, um, which, which, of course, brings up the, the idea. And, and one of our good friends uh, here in Indianapolis, Darius Butler, is, is one of them that says, like, guys should be able to announce their own retirement. And I understand his position on this, but it is incredibly noteworthy and newsworthy that Tom Brady is retiring from the NFL. It is Adam Schefter and Jeff Darlington and Ian Rappaport and Jason Lockenford, all those guys, it's their job to tell newsworthy stories to the viewing public, to their listeners, to the, their readers, whoever it might be. You cannot deny that this is with well within the constructs of their job to report that Tom Brady is retiring. There's no semblance in my mind of, respect for somebody to not report the news it doesn't make any sense to me we might be getting into a little bit of the the nuts and bolts of of the uh kind of the reporting behind the scenes stuff it's not nfl news this is more i guess more journalism commentary but but mike i i take it you certainly didn't have any any qualms with how things were reported over the weekend being being the veteran journalist among us three no it was obvious from the start that what happened is they had a a quality source and they went with it, and Tom Brady wasn't quite ready to have it announced. Well, well, then Tom Brady should be mad at whomever his source was, because it was certainly someone in his camp. And I, and I don't want to throw stones at other media guys, but Jim Gray mentioned he asked Tom Brady, "Did these guys overstep in what they did? Are you crazy? 
if you're if you're a, a a media guy and you get this and and it's on good sources, I can't think of too many instances when you wouldn't report it. You you just have to. So th- this was a case of Brady. Didn't he come out like on a, on his a podcast or something Monday night, saying I've made no decision. I'll, I'll you know I'll do this when I'm ready. And the next morning he comes out with his. So he wanted this to be done on his own terms. And you know, he, he tried to put the toothpaste back in the tube, and that's really very difficult to do. So that was news that really was breaking and discussed early in the week and then last weekend. Um, and the, the NFL is, is king every minute in the offseason. Just, just there's story after storyline, and one of the biggest ones, not just really of this, this year, but one story that could be one of the bigger ones uh, over, if not the last decade, if uh, you, you look even beyond that, uh, has been kind of developing over the past 24 hours or so as we tape this podcast. As a former Miami Dolphins head coach, Brian Flores, is suing the NFL, the New York Giants, the Miami Dolphins, and the Denver Broncos for alleged racism in uh, their hiring practices. He includes some text from Bill Belichick in his claims. He includes uh, his take on certain meetings that he had uh, with Denver and with uh, the uh, ownership in Miami and evidence toward they wanted him uh, to tank, which is a whole nother thing besides the, the, the racism claims. The, the idea that an NFL owner would, would be financially, uh, ben, uh, financially compensating a head coach for losing is is like I said something different in its entirety. So I mean, these these claims are going to be investigated. They are going to be obviously uh, really dove into quite heavily, Mike. But what was your reaction to uh, to this news when it was all coming out? And your did anything in particular from uh, from Brian Brian Flores' allegations really stand out to you? Well, yeah, the the thousand dollar one hundred thousand dollars per loss incentive is 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 staggering. And I think I saw something today where there's some kind of evidence of it. Now, I don't know what that is. I can't imagine an owner being completely stupid enough to send a text or an email. Uh, is there a tape recording, which is probably inadmissible? I don't know. The The thing with the Rooney Rule, I, I, I totally understand why they went there, why there was a need for it. Because they just had to. But... I, I'm not sure how they, the NFL or team, not not teams, NFL cuts to the chase of, of the problem, and that is how you force an owner, which they happen to be white owners, how you force them to hire minorities. I don't I don't know how you do that. Uh, they've tried to give incentives with draft picks or whatever, but I don't know how you tell an owner. Who he has to hire now? What's always bothered me is this: what what Flores calls a sham, and I think that the, the examples of sham interviews are so numerous; they just are. You, you interview X, Y, and Z because you, you already know who you're going to get, but you have to meet the Rooney Rule. I, 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 the one thing that did strike me is his conviction for this, because he's put his career on the line. He really has. He's attacking one of the most successful businesses on the planet for not hiring for the way they hire minorities. And, oh, by the way, he's a minority. So I I applaud him for doing this. I'm really curious how this thing ends up. 
because he didn't do this just because he was bored and wanted to create news. That's not the case at all. Joe, what about you? What stood out from uh, Brian Flores' allegations he has in this lawsuit? Well, what really stood out to me was Bill Belichick's text. I mean, I thought I was extremely interested in that, how he thought he appeared, you know, if those really were his texts, it appeared that Bill Belichick thought he was texting Brian Dable, who has since become the head coach of the um, New York Giants, accidentally texted Flores congratulating who he thought was Dable on the job before Flores even interviewed. Uh, So Bill Belichick and other people around the league knew that it was Dable's job, but the Giants just had had to interview Flores to put a check in the box of the Rooney rule. And so I thought that was extremely interesting um, for many reasons, one of which, who hasn't been in a position where he accidentally texted the wrong person? And just to think that a great coach like Bill Belichick would, would be in that position where we've all been before um, was relatable, but also the much more important of the implications that it shows that a lot of these coaches, just because they're getting interviews, does not mean they're getting fair chances to become head coach. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. And then I also found it interesting in the NFL's response to the lawsuit. Um, just like a couple hours after the lawsuit was announced, the NFL wrote a statement, which in part, is, in part it says, quote, we will defend against these claims, which are without merit. I'd be interested in seeing how the NFL knows that they're without merit just two hours after they've been announced. I mean, it does not seem like a thorough investigation has been conducted at all into this. Um, So uh, it's just, all in all, it's just a bad look in the NFL for something that's pretty evident for anybody looking at it. I mean, over 57% of NFL players are black, according to a recent study in 2020, and yet there's only one black head coach in the NFL right now, and I guarantee it's not based on lack of interest from black coaching candidates. Yeah, the uh, the, the line that you, that you mentioned there, Joe, that these claims are without merit definitely stuck out to me, too, because it looked like Brian Flores at least provided some evidence with the, uh, the text from Bill Belichick. So to immediately come out and say these claims are without merit was, was very, very surprising to me. Um, to, to just kind of throw a wet blanket on it right away. Uh, obviously, I think these claims in their entirety are going to be difficult to prove. There's a difference between what you believe and what you can see is kind of true and what you can actually prove. Mike, I'm sure you're very well aware of that, having been in journalism for decades. There, there's a big difference between what we can kind of see happening and what you can prove in a court of law. So this this claim from Blind Flores, like you said, I think really, really is is showing his um, some how strongly he believes in his current position because he really is, as you say, putting his career on the line. And it is a good young career. I mean, he has been a winning coach the last two seasons in Miami with a team that a lot of people did not like or did not give a lot of credit to, especially two years ago, was able to lead that team to winning records two years in a row. Like, I think if 
I think he had a future in the NFL as a head coach, even though he was let go by the Dolphins this last year. So for him to to be so adamant on it in a in in an area and in an avenue, I guess, going through the legal the legal system that can really throw a lot of egg on the NFL and then get him even to be kind of more blackballed or blacklisted, whatever you want to say. Like this was that, that all stood out to me again with uh, just the way that he is going about this is, is very, very uh, he, he has a strong conviction in, in what he is doing, obviously. And also the timing of it, it's during the, the, the quiet cycle right now leading up to the Super Bowl. And what do you think one of the topics is going to be? Next week during Super Bowl week, so so it, it's it's awful timing. We're, we're talking optics for the NFL because that's all anyone wants to talk about now. We'll we'll get back talking about the Bengals and, and, and the Rams, but right now this is not what the NFL wants. The NFL is so much about about image and all that, and this this couldn't throw a, a more, more negative image on the. And again, it's really two separate things. Again, the the sham of, of the Rooney rule. And it, it's hard. It's You can't ignore the $100,000 incentive to lose football games. I mean, that's, that's the integrity of the game. So, so I, I want to see again, like Joe said, that, that within two hours, it was without merit. Oh, really? We're still waiting for the NFL's response to this, to Sean Watson stuff that they've taken a year or whatever to investigate. So, uh, that that was somebody real quickly, but at the end of the day, say, yeah, we need to throw. Out, let's get that uh, response out of out of the the third fl- file in the corner. So uh, th- th- this is almost NFL's worst nightmare. Although the worst nightmare could be when when there's when when we see proof of of, of a lot of what he's saying. Well, to something a, a whole lot less. Uh charged, I guess we will say, but still relevant in the NFL. The uh, Washington football team has chosen a new name. They are the Washington Commanders, everybody. Uh, Welcome the Commanders to the NFL. Um, I have many thoughts on this, and a lot of them are uh, are very snide. Uh, I, I will say their logo, the W logo, looks like a taco holder. So they will always be the Washington taco holders now to me. So you should go online and check that out. And also, the Commanders was a name of an uh, alliance foot, uh, league team, like the Bill Polian uh, League that was just in, in action a couple years ago. It was the San Antonio Commanders. And their hashtag that was uh, the, used on social media was hashtag take command. Well, guess what hashtag the uh, Washington football team has chosen for their new team? Hashtag take command. They're just copying, ripping directly from this other team and this other league. So congratulations. You showed absolutely no creativity for a name that makes you sound like you're an arena league team. That, those are That's my thoughts. Joe, when you heard there was the commanders, what would you think? Well, and they took more than two years to figure out what their name was going to be. It's not like all of a sudden they had to find a new name. They were just the football team for a while. And I think a lot of people agree that the football team was a better name. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what you would expect from a team that's owned by Dan Snyder. They've shown poor judgment in multiple other areas in the past, but I did not love the Commanders. I don't even love their new uniforms. I think I liked the old uniforms better, um, but I, I still contend that the Swamp Hogs was their best option for a name. Swamp Hog. I, anything with hogs, I would have loved. Go ahead, chap. It's, my initial reaction was was one of a 
from a from a detailed standpoint, their logo includes the five years they won world championships, and, and each one is the year after the year they won it. They and I haven't got the years in front of me because I don't care that much, but but it, it'd be no different than than saying the Colts won the two thousand seven world championship. No, they won the two thousand six world championship in two thousand seven. So that that's just kind of crazy, but maybe that just shows you how non-detail oriented the Washington former football team is. Yeah, our uh, we were talking about that literally the exact same thing. Like in in our office today, our our own Wes Woodward uh, pointed that out. Like he looked at the logo, he's like, "Those numbers aren't right." Like looking at, he said, "1990, whatever it was 92." No, it was the 91 season that the 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 team won the uh, the world championship. They played the Super Bowl in 92. And then out of all the, the the other four before that, same exact thing. So yeah, uh, it it was not it has not been received well. I'll also say this, and this is something that Pat McAfee said on his show today. If they win, it doesn't matter. Everyone will love the Commanders. Um, and uh, also, I will add again, as as someone who grew up in Philadelphia and kind of follows the sports uh, team around there, all the teams, uh, gritty. The mascot for the Philadelphia Flyers was hated for like a week. And now he's loved. Uh, so, like, it, it, it completely, it, any, everything can change with, with, with logos and team mascots and all that stuff based on everything that comes after today, you know? Uh, it doesn't change, like, uh, Mike, like you said, the, uh, I think the, the sloppy nature and how it was, even though you didn't use that word, I'll, I'll throw that word out there, the sloppy nature in which it was uh, unveiled. But uh, nevertheless, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're now the Washington Commanders, so get, get ready to get used to saying that. It is Senior Bowl week. Uh, several of the draft's top prospects will be in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, five of the top six quarterbacks, including Pittsburgh's Kenny Pickett, Liberty's Malik Willis, North Carolina's Sam Howell, Cincinnati's Desmond Ritter, uh, Nevada's Carson, excuse me, Carson Strong. Um, got some good defensive end prospects. Uh, a couple others, Colts might be watching closely. Joe, you're the uh, you're the uh, expert among us three for uh, for this type of content. So when you are looking at Senior Bowl week in Mobile, what do you think Colts fans should be paying attention to? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think Colts fans are going to see how the quarterbacks perform, see which quarterbacks you know. If the Colts decide to go that route in the second round or make a trade up for a quarterback in this draft. Um, it's definitely good to know which guys might be the next Colts gunslinger. Um, defensive end is a position we're going to talk about a lot today, and it's a position the Colts need more production out of. And there's a lot of good defensive ends in this draft in general, and also at the Senior Bowl. Jermaine Johnson from Florida State had 14 sacks. Arnold, I'm going to butcher the name, Ebikite from Penn State, another athletic pass rusher. Myhey Sanders, I probably said that wrong too. I'm st- it's early in the draft season, I'm still yes, working on the we're working names. working on it. Uh, out of Cincinnati, he's another guy who's uh, athletic and he's got the the body type. Cam Thomas from San Diego State is a guy who had a lot of pressures this past year on the quarterback and would be really good for that Colts in that left defensive end spot, kind of where Nico Autry used to play. And then Kingsley. Enigbare, a lot of tough names this year uh, out of South Carolina. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm putting my, I'm putting my check mark next to Cam Thomas. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> for, for pronunciation and spelling, you can have the rest of them. Cam Thomas or Jermaine Johnson, those are the two guys. But there you uh, go. It, looking at offense here, 
Um, there's a few pass catchers that I'm sure the Colts are going to be looking at. Trey McBride um, is kind of the consensus top tight end. He played at Colorado State. He had 90 catches and over 1,100 yards last year. I mean, that, those are just mammoth numbers for a college tight end. Jeremy Ruckert out of Ohio State um, is another good prospect who could be there in round two or three for the Colts. They definitely need tight ends. And then Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama is one of several wide receivers who are going to be down in Mobile, Alabama, who the Colts are going to keep an eye on. Then at offensive tackle, Bernard Raymond out of Central Michigan. He's a guy who um, projects as a player whose best football is still in front of him. He transitioned from tight end to offensive tackle um, in 2020. It's amazing. He put on like 60 pounds, really 40 to 60 pounds, really beefed up. And he's a guy who has good movement skills, but is still kind of learning the position. Um, high, high ceiling type of player who may not be ready year one, but down the line could be a very good left tackle. Um, so those are just a few guys that I wanted to name as we kind of emerge into draft season here and who are going to be down in Mobile, Alabama, where teams can kind of get a closer look and a better feel for these players as opposed to players who won't be at the Senior Bowl. Before we uh, transition into uh, Colts defensive coordinator and then defensive line uh, or defensive end talk, specifically pass rushers, I did want to bring up something else, uh, Mike, that is kind of in tune with uh, the the Tom Brady discussion. Um, Like, obviously, Chap, you are on the uh, electing board for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Tom Brady will be eligible, assuming he stays retired in 2027. That year, right now, and I tweeted this out, and you might have seen it, but... Like, already that year, there are four or five, like, first ballot caliber guys who uh, could be selected to the Hall of Fame that year. You got, uh, you got Tom Brady. You got Ben Roethlisberger. You got, um, see, now I'm blanking on them. Um, perhaps Gronkowski. Gronkowski is perhaps. I would, I would imagine probably Gronkowski. Adrian, uh, Adrian, Peterson, Adrian Peterson, that was it, Adrian Peterson, and then Jason Peters, if indeed this is his last year at left tackle. Um, um, like, th- th- those five guys, I mean, there's a class right there for the Hall of Fame. I don't know how much discussion you're going to have in 2027, but uh, but if that's the class, then my goodness, it's hard to, to, to beat or to say no to any one of those five guys. And just from being in the room, and, and, and you're not presenting one of those guys, you're presenting one of the other ten, the more, no doubt, first ballot Hall of Fame guys you've got, the total worse it is for your guy. Let's say you've got four first ballot guys. I mean, and they could very well be. Uh, then you got one spot for, for you know the other eleven guys, and it's just hard. That's why, you know, we'll see how the thing goes with Reggie this year. It comes out next Thursday, but. They always tell people, well, wait, your time's coming. Well, when you get these first ballot guys, it just eats up spots. But you're right. It's, I mean, you stand up and say Tom Brady. I stood up and I said Peyton Manning. You say Tom Brady. You say, don't you say Roethlisberger? Don't, do you have to give an argument for him? I, I don't think so. I, he won I, two I Super Bowls, that, for crying out loud. Well, I know, but so did Eli. So did Eli. And I don't think there's going to be discussion on him. But Adrian Peterson, I think there will be discussion on because of some off the field stuff that it, that inter, that that impacted on the field. But Gronkowski, I, I think again, I've always thought that a first ballot guy, you stand up and you sit down, 
if you have to discuss the guy, then chances are he's not that guy. But no, you you, you make a very good point, and it, it, we joke about it that it'll be a short meeting, but it'll be a long meeting simply because the other ten or eleven guys have got to really stake stake a case for that one or two other spot. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's just so, something that stuck out to st- st- yeah was very evident to me. Uh, anyway, let, let's get to the uh, the Colts defensive coordinator and Colts defensive coaching staff in general. Uh, Matt Eberflus, now the head coach of the Chicago Bears. Uh, I saw something today that he is bringing on safeties coach Alan Williams to be his defensive coordinator. Also, a linebackers coach and cornerbacks coach from here in Indy uh, left uh, to join his staff in Chicago. Uh, so, so before we get into the the names there, uh, Mike, this is a, this is a defensive side of the ball that's going to see a dramatic amount of change. I don't know if Chris Ballard or wants to bring in guys who will dramatically change up philosophy, but there is certainly the potential for that given how many coaches are uh, are now out of Indianapolis who have been here for the past year or more than a couple of years now. Yeah, he was on, uh, was it 670 the score in Chicago when they were talking about uh, Eberflus and all this? And he's they've let a couple of these coaches go to Chicago. Uh, I, I, now, whether, I, can't, I don't know if they were all under contract or not, but they made the decision that once they weren't going to replace Flus internally, that they, they were not going to keep guys from going with him. The question I'd love to have answered, maybe they will, maybe they won't when all, all the dust settles, is had had Eberflus not gotten the head coaching job, how extensive would the defensive staff changed? Would it have been one or two? Brian Baker was was not retained. Uh, but but would they just have start, started over? Would, would they have done everything? And, and would Flus have been okay? with bringing in a whole new staff. I, I, I kind of think not. I can't, I can't imagine he would have been okay with bringing in all, all new coaches. So it'd be really curious to know how extensive it would have been. It would have changed because they, they made it clear that, that they, they were going to make changes. It's kind of funny though, that the, the, the massive changes are with the defensive staff, which yes, they had, they had problems on defense, holding leads and all that. But so far, nothing on offense yet. And, you know, so are we going to put this all on one person offensively for the troubles? I, you know, we'll see. But I, I'd be really curious to know that had, if Flus hadn't gotten the job, how extensive would the staff makeover have been? Certainly a question that uh, that we, we, we can ponder for the next uh, couple months and we probably won't, won't get a good answer, a direct answer, you know from uh, Chris Bauer at any time we get to talk with him. But uh, several uh, candidates for defensive quarter coordinator here in Indianapolis, guys who have interviewed, have reported to be interviewed, um, or will interview. Uh, Jim Schwartz, who's the senior defensive uh, assistant with uh, Tennessee. Um, he's 55 years old, former head coach at Detroit, and was defensive coordinator in Philadelphia when Frank Reich was offensive coordinator and the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Certainly a relationship between those guys. Um, Gus Bradley, the, uh, defensive coordinator for the Vegas Raiders, also 55 years old, um, was in the past defensive coordinator for the Chargers and, uh, the Seahawks and former head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
Joe Cullen, last year's defensive coordinator for the Jaguars. Uh, Chris Richard, defensive backs coach for New Orleans, is also former defensive coordinator at Seattle. I think he actually worked under Gus Bradley as well. He was probably an assistant there before uh, he was coordinator, if I'm not mistaken. He's only 42 years old, but younger. Chris Harris, 39 years old, defensive backs coach at Washington. Joe Witt Jr., uh, Dallas defensive backs coach and passing game coordinator at age 43. Joe, when you look at all those candidates, uh, did any of them in particular stick out to you, or is there any overarching themes that you can tell from uh, this group of guys that you put together for us to discuss? Well, they kind of have, you know, Jim Schwartz is, if I had to pick one that sticks out, it'd be Schwartz just because um, his relationship with Frank Wright, and that seems to be how the Colts roll. If you've known Frank Wright in the past, there's a decent chance that you might get to join Indy. Um, but also he's been a pretty successful defensive coordinator. I mean, those Philadelphia teams, that was a good Philadelphia defense um, that got after Tom Brady in the Super Bowl and um, really, you know, had those defensive ends who would line up wide and get after the quarterback. Um, and he has had coaching experiences. There's leadership there too. Obviously, Gus Bradley, anybody who's a former head coach that you now get as a defensive coordinator, it's going to turn some heads. But then I'm also looking at the young guys here uh, with Richard, Chris Harris. I mean, sometimes if you get these coaches on the come up, especially Harris, I mean, he's he's only been in the league a handful of years here. He hasn't he hasn't been a, around for a long while. Um, if you can kind of get an ascending coach, that can really do a lot for your franchise. Chap, what do you think about this list right here? I like it. It's diverse. What I what I would like to know. Is is don't you think they they need to stay with some form of a four three? Yeah, I, I just they've spent four years drafting to build a four three, and and I realize you play so much sub package now you do, but in my simplistic mind, a three four you need to have linebackers out the yin yang. You just do, and I don't know if they got those kind of linebackers on this team, and I don't know that this team's going to want to transition personnel-wise, two to three years to get to a 3-4. So I, I do think they're going to stay 3-4-3. Or four, three. But more aggressive, I guess, is that is that the word that we're looking for, that we, we just kind of grew, grew anxious with the, uh, with the passive approach that this defense seemed to take? So now whether that was their approach because of scheme or because of personnel, we can talk about, but... Uh, I, I like the group. Jim Swartz jumps out because because of the uh, history with Frank. Uh, Chris Harris, again, he, doesn't he go back to Chicago with uh, Chris Ballard? I think Chris Ballard was on, was on the personnel staff when, when they drafted him. He might have been. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Solid I mean, safety. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I'll add this, chap, that um, – you say they they might not have linebackers out to out to Wazoo, you know, to to make a three four, but I, I don't know if they have defensive linemen uh, out to Wazoo to to be solid in the four three either. You know, if you if you want to make that that counterpoint, I, I still agree with you that I think it would be a a, a really a tough sell to bring in a three four scheme. Um, but didn't, but I didn't I didn't want to throw it out just completely based on exactly the personnel that the Colts have right now. Joe, did you get, were you gonna say something? Yeah, didn't Chris Ballard when he came here kind of said no dome team has ever won with a three four defense? I'm pretty sure when they switched from Pagano's three four to a four three, Ballard kind of made it clear that he was not interested in running a three four here. 
Um, and also, I, I look at this list, and I believe all of these guys come from defenses running 4-3. I think Jacksonville's kind of might have been a more flexible, multiple scheme. But I think for the most part, all these defenses here um, are 4-3 base defenses. Yeah. I, I, I Yeah. And I'll, I'll say this about Chris Richard, too. I think that he was... If I'm not mistaken, he was interviewed by Chris Ballard for the coaching position that ultimately went to Frank Reich. So, chap, we know that Chris Ballard really holds him in high regard. Uh, that I think that's one of the the younger names to to in particular watch out for is uh, Chris Richard in this coaching coaching search. If it doesn't go to a Jim Schwartz or a Gus Bradley, one of those guys who have been a head coach in the past. And again, not knowing the contract status with all these guys, you know, what if they bring in one of these guys as a coordinator and one or two of these guys? As position coaches, if they're interested in that, you, you never know what their what their objective is. But uh, I'm really curious to see how this thing pans out because you know the first step is getting your staff in place, and then the next step is making sure you got the right personnel so that that staff has a chance to succeed. And it's it's crazy that that now that, that they're making this change, people were so are so quick to to, to douse on. This defense, and, and there's reasons. Again, I, I, I look no further than Baltimore. You know, make a stop. Tampa, make a stop. Tennessee, make a stop. But o- over Flus's four years, they they were top ten. They, they they were top ten yards, top ten points, number two in takeaways. You know, it, it, across the league. So there were good there were good moments, but the work against the pass and and third down conversions and and all that, they had to do something different. We sort of saw this when we talked to Chris Ballard after the season. He indicated, you know, we started playing more man-to-man at the second half of the season, and all those stats start, started to go improve against the pass on third down. So they were going to make some change. Uh, again, like I said, this is a massive change. I'm guessing maybe no defensive assistant survives this. So I'm just curious where where this thing is and where this ends up probably in the next week or so. Do we all agree that uh, the Colts' priority on defense, personnel-wise, has to be uh, defensive end, or can you make a case that it's that it's something else this offseason? No, I, I I agree with you 100. percent They need more pass rush, more production out of their defensive end position. Solid at corner, very good. At, I mean, linebacker is probably the strongest position group on that defense. Because uh, of Darius Leonard and uh, Okereke is a very good linebacker as well, and then they got a solid set of safeties. Uh, granted that um, Julian Blackman comes need back healthy, healthy. Yeah. yeah. So uh, right. yeah, defensive end to me clearly is the position where they need to be better in 2022. And I think what we're gonna the argument we can have, and, and Joe, you can kind of take up the one angle is, you know, you talked about maybe the second round pick defensive end that is a deep class. Maybe I just don't know that they're going to go first round, second round last year and use another high pick on a, on a pass rusher this year. I, I I've got, I, I've already convinced myself and I, I tend to, to get on an Island and I stay there. I just, I, I'm convinced they're going to go free agency, the short term veteran guy, you know, the two year, Justin Houston, I think Danico Autry was a three-year. I just think that's what this defense is going to need. If you're going to trust that Dio and Quiddy are going to be like the cornerstone guys, you've got to have a veteran guy. You just do. And uh, uh, 
you know, maybe they re-sign a couple of their guys as as rotational depth guys. But I just I, I just don't know that they they'd spend another high draft pick when they've really shown outside of this past year, which we still don't know on last year's draft. We've got tons of evidence that that's a hard position for these guys to bring in guys who can make an impact. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that, Chapel. But at the same time, I wouldn't rule it out. You know, if 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 especially in the second round, depending on how the draft shakes, if whatever positions they were looking at, they don't like what's left, but they really like this defensive end. I wouldn't say that they're definitely not going to take one, but I side with you. I think even Chris Ballard mentioned during his um, press conference, he thought he thought it might have been a mistake not to bring in some kind of veteran at defensive end. So I do think bringing in a veteran, a, a proven commodity at defensive end will be a priority this offseason. Yeah, good points. Um, and when you look at their roster for next season you know that they're either gonna have to re-sign their old guys sign some new guys or draft some new guys because there are only three defensive ends coming back next year as of right now those are your two rookies from last year quitty pay dio adangbo and then ben banigu is the third and at the same time when i say three are coming back i don't know if ben banigu is going to be coming back uh he's he's been given chance after chance this last year of his contract is the last year of his rookie contract. It's, if I'm not mistaken, it's guaranteed anyway. So, I mean, if if he's not going to present anything more than he has, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Colts move on from him and just leave the roster spot up for somebody who they think actually could have a future in here in spite of owing him the money anyway. So uh, the defensive ends with expiring contracts right now are Taekwon Lewis, Kamoko Ture, Al-Kadeen Muhammad, and Isaac Rochelle. So that's four guys right there or four spots that are possible for the Colts to either add people through the draft or through free agency or to re-sign those guys, of course, again, too. Um, we, this is going to be a position that, that has some upheaval for sure. And, and you guys have discussed it a little bit already, whether it's uh, the draft or whether it's um, looking through free agency. Uh, Draft-wise, it, it is shaping up to be a good defensive end class, as the NFL Network's Daniel Jeremiah says that seven of his top 25 graded players are defensive ends. So, Joe, like you said, if there's talent there in, in round two or, heck, in round three that the Colts like, that I, I wouldn't be surprised if Chris Ballard pulls the trigger. But at the same time, with what Chris said to us postseason, like Chat mentioned, about the need for a veteran there, if they don't, excuse me, sign some kind of defensive end in free agency, a veteran guy, proven to have eight to 10 sacks a season, I would be stunned. But again, they've stunned me before like last offseason when they didn't sign a backup quarterback to be behind Carson Wentz, who had missed games in multiple seasons, multiple games in multiple seasons right beforehand. So I'm not saying they, they're definitely going to or they definitely have to, but I am saying it would be surprising to me, and I think from what you guys are saying, it would be surprising to you as well. If you look at the free agent defensive ends, well, we, we might as well start with, uh, with, the, with the cream of the crop. That would be Chandler Jones, of course, Syracuse University zone. Um, of course, I say he's the cream of the crop. Um, played for the Arizona Cardinals last year. He's uh, 32 next year. Had 10 and a half sacks last year, although four or five of them are within the very first week um, in that just one game. Um, he missed a lot of time in 2020 with a bicep injury, but he's ranked fourth on Pro Football Focus's best free agents list. Um, chap, this seems more like a guy that is kind of like a Justin Houston out there. He's starting to get to the back end of his career, 32 years old. 
He has been able to get double-digit sacks in the past, like Justin Houston was. It kind of depends on how much Arizona values him, I think, right now. If they have anybody in the pipeline that they want to bring in uh, as to whether the Colts will get a shot at this, but I don't think he's going to be as cheap as, uh, as Justin Houston because Joe lists here his contract possession being pr- projection, rather, being two years, about $33.5 million. That would be a, a, a big payday that he would be due, and it would be technically uh, the most that Chris Ballard would spend in free agency on a true free agent if they indeed spent $33.5 million. But Chandler Jones is certainly one of the options for the Colts as they look to this offseason. Yeah, and again, I think this is one where when I talked to Jim Mercy after the season where he talked major changes, I think one of the things he was also t- indicating was maybe a change in offseason approach. It, it is, I think Jim Mercy has wanted to be more aggressive in free agency, and Chris Ballard has, has declined because he wants to sort of keep his budget and his building the way he does it. But I do think that, that the owner will, will urge stronger, more aggression in free agency. Now, whether that means paying a top-level a top level defensive end, I don't know. I, I, I was always thinking, again, a veteran, that Justin Houston type guy they got two years ago, is that Chandler Jones type of guy? Maybe Von Miller. I think Von Miller is going to get a, a good contract. Some of that's on on name value, and same with Chandler Jones. So uh, Joe's got a good list here, and and I wouldn't be surprised if one of these guys ends up in Indy next year. You look at the in, next in the offseason. Yeah, the, the next one, Joe, on your list is Von Miller, who the Rams got in the middle of the year. Um, and if you look at how the Rams are in the Super Bowl, I mean, you you certainly uh, point to Matthew Stafford uh, at quarterback, but you you can't ignore guys that they got via trades, uh, Von Miller, Odell Beckham Jr., guys that they brought the in. The absolute uh, that opposite they really, approach yeah. than what the Colts do are the Rams. Exactly. Trading away draft picks for proven veterans yep. and just somehow making it work and staying competitive year after year. Yep, and Von Miller had 11 and a half sacks this year, uh, including the playoffs. He has 115 career sacks. He's going to be 32 years old, just like Chandler Jones. Um, I, I think, uh, Joe, if the, especially if the Rams win the Super Bowl, but heck, even now that the Rams just made the Super Bowl, um, uh, it, he would, he would love to stay there if they can make it work financially. Uh, but if, if they can't make it work financially, he, he would be a, a very, I think, appealing target. Uh, nevertheless, I think you make a great point here, uh, that, that you wrote down that Miller's only played four snaps with his hand in the dirt since 2018. So he's really not your typical four, three edge rusher. No, he's not. And he, he did a little more earlier in his career, but later in his career, he's he's really been a, that outside linebacker, um, kind of more in a 3-4 scheme, uh, which, you know, the Colts have shown they brought in Justin Houston, which is what he did before, and then put him on uh, a defensive end. So I don't think it's out of the question that the Colts take uh, kind of stand-up edge rusher and make him more of a defensive end. Very not the same, not the same at all, but similar skill sets in both positions as far as rushing the passer. Um, his contract projects similar to Chandler Jones, two years, about thirty-four million. Uh, both these guys seem similar to me. I just think Chandler Jones fits the Colts' scheme a little bit more. Um, but there's a good chance neither guy are, are available. I mean, the Cardinals could franchise Chandler Jones and try and keep him around one more year and do something while they still have a quarterback, the quarterback Kyler Murray on a rookie contract. So, the you know, if the Colts sign either of these two guys, I'll be, you know, doing laps around the neighborhood 
Uh, these would be huge home run hits as far as the short term, but it's going to cost a lot of money for aging players. Are we going to discuss Javion Clowney, Joe, every offseason? Probably. I mean, we because of how in-depth we went into him last year, we don't have to go a ton into this. But he had another productive year, his most productive sack-wise since 2018. He had nine sacks. Um, I get it. You know, Miles Garrett was the main priority for opposing offenses when it came to who they were blocking. But Jadavion Clowney is still a guy who um, plays good run defense, can get after the passer, and paired up with Quiddy Pay, who we hope will take the next step next year. I think Jadavion Clowney is much more effective in a secondary role. Um, you know, all those years where he was a good player with Houston, J.J. Watt was the number one priority for opposing offenses. And then Clowney was able to kind of do his thing. I don't think he's that number one top pass rusher that he was labeled to be coming out. But he's 29 years old, and I think he's a guy who could give the Colts a good year or two. There's a kid, a local kid, who went to Hamilton Southeastern High School. That's Randy Gregory, who played for Dallas the past few years. He'll be 29 next year. Certainly an intriguing athletic guy. Uh, he only had six sacks last year in his first season as a starter. But, Chap, he has missed two full seasons uh, for violating the NFL's substance abuse policy. If we're talking about what the Colts are willing to do differently entering 2022, I don't know how much they're going to change. Like, this is something that Chris Bauer, again, did mention when we spoke to him postseason, the type of guys they bring in. They might take some more swings at some more expensive guys, but for, for them to take a swing at a guy who has some uh, pretty sketchy history, I, I'm not commenting on the player he is or the person he is now, because to be frank, I really don't know. Um, but but to, to really go after a guy who has somewhat of a checkered past, I think might be a bridge too far. Yeah, you're not you don't you not only be asking Chris Bauer to change his approach somewhat as far as being more aggressive in free agency, but oh by the way, when you're doing that, we're going to take a player with with red flags. Uh, it's already a risky business in free agency anyway. But but you know to sign somebody and then if it goes bad, you say, well, didn't you didn't you know his background? So I I, I just think there'll be other options other than Randy Gregory if he stays. Right, he shows pass rush skills. He does. I just think there's other, there will be other better options, less less risky options on the market. There's a couple other guys who might be, uh, let's see, more like one or two year uh, fill-ins. Uh, Joe, you listed a couple of them here. Melvin Ingram uh, is, is possible, who had four sacks this year. Um, let's see here. Jason Pierre-Paul had only two and a half sacks. Other guys like Calais Campbell, uh, he's going to be 36 years old. Jerry Hughes is going to be 34 years old. Uh, Justin Houston as well, uh, 33 years old. Uh, there are some other guys that could that would command probably more years and some higher salaries. Um, I'll run them down quickly. Emmanuel Ogba of Miami had 18 sacks the last two years. Harold Landry had a career-high 13.5 sacks just this year in 2021. Um, Derek Barnett, who coming out of Philly, only had two and a half sacks in 2021, but uh, could pro could project to do a little bit more depending on where he goes. Um, Hassan Reddick as well. Um, out of all of those guys, uh, do, do any of them in particular, Joe, stand out to you as uh, as guys who are who have the potential to be be a number one guy, a number one edge rusher that uh, that could perhaps make a difference on whatever team they they ultimately land with. Two guys who really stick out to me here are Harold Landry and Emmanuel Agba. Um, like I said, 18 sacks over the last two years 
uh, is pretty impressive numbers, and he for Ogba, yeah. Um, he he's he can play that role of Danico Autry. He's two seventy five. He can rush inside. He can rush outside. Um, the twenty second highest ranked player on Pro Football Focus's best free agent list. Contract projection three year forty six million. So he'd be pricey, but not exactly break the bank. And I just think you know we'll see what happens with scheme. I mean, I, I guess with Eberflus gone. I shouldn't necessarily be projecting a guy to fill that Danico Autry role any longer, which is why Harold Landry also sticks out to me because he's a speed rusher. 13 and a half sacks this year, including the playoffs. All these sack numbers from this past year include the playoffs. Um, very durable. He's only missed one game in his four-year career. 31 career sacks, so he's been productive. He's not necessarily, a, I don't know, a, a guy who's just going to win every one-on-one opportunity he gets. But he's a good speed rusher who in the fourth quarter, when you just say pin your ears back and go get after the quarterback, he can certainly do that. He's another guy who would kind of need to transition from outside linebacker to defensive end. He's about 250. Um, Pro Football Focus said last year he par- played Roughly even snaps at defensive end or stand-up outside linebacker. So, you know, it, it would also be nice to see the Colts steal talent away from division rival Tennessee. You know, they took Autry, so if we <laughs> could take Harold Landry back, maybe we'd be about even there. But he projects for a little bit more money, four years, um, $60 million. Landry's 26, Ogba's 28. So that's why he gets kind of more years in that projection because he's a little younger. Um, but I think Harold Landry or Ogba – would both be very valuable players to this Colts defensive front. Yeah, Chap, when you when you look at playing for the Colts defense, I, I'd assume it probably depends also on what defensive coordinator they bring in. But if you're going to try to appeal to one of these free agents that's going to be higher priced this offseason, you definitely want to bring in, that brings us back to the discussion we had earlier, a defensive coordinator that kind of has a proven track record of having guys like that, guys that are big sack guys, somebody who wants to attack the quarterback. So uh, you, you kind of combine our two discussions here together that if the Colts are going to go after one of those bigger name free agents and kind of um, cut ties with their their past couple years where they didn't do that, then uh, we might get a hint of that in who the Colts decide to go with uh, at defensive coordinator uh, in in the next coming week or two weeks or so. Well, I think your selling point is going to be is if you're the coordinator talking to one of these guys is I'm going to feature you. You know, yes, we've got Quiddy Payne and he's a cornerstone guy here, we hope, but, but we're bringing you in here to be, you know, if not one, then one a with, with Quiddy Payne. So I think that's a, Players have egos, and players, they simply want to be in position to, to make plays. So I think their selling point is going to be if they target that guy, whoever it is, it's going to be we're not spending this money for you to be a rotational guy. We want you to kind of be the one of the catalysts of our pass rush. And as we've talked about, that's got to be whomever it is. That's got to be the number one focus is how do you crank up the pass rush because just about every other – facet of the defense and maybe not so much the run defense but but everything that with the pass game it just flows out of the pass rush it just does and uh if i'm selling one of these guys i'm saying i'm bringing you in here to make a difference to be a disruptor and if you put money along with that that guy's ears are going to perk up 
Joe, did you just put Jerry Hughes at the end of his discussion to troll the entire Colts fan base? <laughs> no, just because he's an option. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't think he's a likely You're doing your option. job. I know. Exactly, I'm... exactly. I did want to say with Hassan Reddick, I mean, he's a guy who has 23 and a half sacks over the last two years, but he's only about 235 pounds. So I'm not exactly, if the Colts stick with that, uh, 4-3, I'm not exactly sure how he'd hold up as a defensive end. I get Robert Mathis didn't weigh a whole lot. Um, so it would, it would, he'd be a guy who would certainly depend on what kind of scheme was brought into this defense as to whether the Colts would even consider him or not. I don't think he would have been a fit on Eberflus's defense. Yeah, I mean, if if they're going to bring in Jim Schwartz and they're going to run the wide nine and they want fast guys out there, then then you you can't you can't overlook it for sure, and that that just just adds some murkiness again to our discussion because we don't know exactly what the Colts are going to run next year. Unlike the last couple of years, where where we knew what they were going to do, and uh, it was going to be a, a similar, if not the exact same uh, type of uh, type of scheme, but. Um, a lot of questions on this Colts defense as the uh, 2022 offseason continues. And uh, that was just kind of a, a quick recap, a quick breakdown uh, of the um, of the defensive end position that the Colts will be looking at over the offseason. Joe, did you want to say something else? Yeah, I else? guess I kind of wanted to ask you guys real quick, not only between, you know, what you thought might be more likely to happen, but what you would want to see happen. I mean, if you, if you were to put yourself in Chris Ballard's shoes here, what do you think would be both most beneficial maybe pay up for a two-year deal for an aging star like Chandler Jones um, pay up for a guy like Handrel Landry who's a very good player maybe not quite a great player um, but he's a little younger and he's gonna you know probably give you more good years on that defense I mean what route would you go in this position chap you go ahead and go first yeah it, it sort of would go back to would you prefer Justin Houston or Danico Autry uh, I I would I would rather go short term, which means that every two years you're trying to reload at the position. I I just don't know that that if he gets more aggressive, I don't know that that will include longer contracts and long, longer commitment. I just I I just don't see that. I I am again I, I I've convinced myself that this is a position they need to take the short term free agency and, and see and see what you have with Quiddy and, and Dio. And and then if it proves that those two guys are what you think they are, then maybe then you can look for the complimentary players. But in, until that get that time, get the two year guy, hope you get nine, ten, eleven sacks from him and, and, and then evolve from that. I, I would go short term with a, a slightly older player. That's just me. I think in, in that scenario, and, and I agree with you that I think the Colts they're they're probably going to try to try to have their cake and eat it too. I think trying to keep the young guys still featured, but at that in that sense, you can still spend a little bit more money on that older player like a Chandler Jones or a Von Miller. So it's not the exact same thing they've done in the past, but it seems like something that is like that that would be something that I could see happen. That I could see Jim Ursay and Chris Ballard come to an agreement upon. That there, there's still an emphasis on the young guys, but there's also more of an, more of an investment in, in trying to improve that group right now for the for the near term. So, it, would I love for them to 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 bring in uh, uh, 
uh, Ogba and Landry. Sure, that'd be fantastic. I, I would love to see two guys, two young guys come in and you could put them both on the edges. But that's, of course, not going to happen with the guys that they do have coming back in, in Quiddy Pay and um, and Dio. So. So, yeah, Joe, I think I think that's what I would lean toward. I, I would lean toward a, uh, one of the veteran guys who might be even a little bit. Uh, like like more of the Justin Houston mold, if not even a little bit considered better than Justin Houston during his time when he was with the Colts a couple of years ago. Does that make sense? I think that makes a lot of sense. I think probably best case scenario when you look at this list is Colts find a way to land Chandler Jones. I think that instantly makes their defense better. Um, I will say the one thing with a guy like Harold Landry is he does kind of bring a different skill set than Dio. Um, so I'm not sure exactly that they'd be eating off each other's plate too much. I get... You can only have so many guys on the field at one time, but get that speed rusher is kind of different than Dio, who's uh, really a bigger player than Harold Landry. Uh, Still very athletic, but bigger guy. So I think it'd be interesting to see. But yeah, I think I'm with you guys in terms of if they could land a star like Chandler Jones on a two-year contract, uh, that'd be great for both the short and long term of this team. Chap, anything else to add before we wrap things up? Nope, that's we, we, we've got it all solved now. If, if Chris Ballard <laughs> will simply listen to us, he can check that off his uh, off-season to-do list. Perfect. There we go. We, we've solved all the Colts' problems. Um, that's just uh, the beginning of our off-season discussion. There's a big schedule of, of very relevant uh, stuff over the next week, weeks rather. Uh, relevant to next week, Wednesday, February 9th, we'll be uh, taping a show. Uh, kind of previewing the NFL Honors show that's coming out, see if there's any Colts that could be uh, winning some awards from the league this year, and also discuss Hall of Fame uh, as well. We'll uh, break down the Colts' wide receiver and tight end groups as well. Uh, another one right at the top of, of the uh, the must-address list for Chris Ballard in the front office uh, this offseason. But we do appreciate you listening. Please, we encourage you to subscribe, get us delivered to your podcast listening device whenever we do drop in the offseason. We plan to do this on most weeks on Wednesday afternoons. You can follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone for news and notes throughout the week. And individually, Mike Chappell is at mchapel 51 Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe. I'm Dave Griffiths. That's at Dave G underscore sports. We do appreciate you listening, and we will see you next time on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. 